a note uh, before I begin yammering incessantly at you. Uh, we have our school kids uh, leading us with uh, reading God's word and offering our petitions. And, and uh, I just was so struck looking at them reading and hearing, hearing them. Uh, I don't know if you remember, there's a passage in the Bible where it talks about the Lord taking us to the kingdom of heaven. And he says, uh, he ends it, well, he describes this beautiful, it's going to rock, just so you know, I checked. And then he ends it with, and a child will lead them. Yeah? And I think of how we were blessed to be led this morning uh, by children. Yeah? Reading not just a story, but I don't know, the word of God. Uh, it's a powerful thing, and I, I think we're crazy blessed, and I'm so grateful. I know that requires bravery. Um, and practice. So, to quote St. Alan Iverson. Um, no, I really did think that was. Is anyone doing that in your head now? Practice? Uh, so, in our first reading, there's a word that's used a lot, uh, and it's the word humility. And we're going to start with humility uh, because that's one of the most important things a Christian can have. When Jesus describes himself, he says, I am meek and humble of heart. Um, one of the things that's interesting with the, the Catholic world right now is we've got a lot of media. We really do. There's a lot of podcasts or YouTube channels or articles or all this, and there's a ton out there. And I just did a check last night. Um, nobody is talking about humility. Right? They're, they're, they're talking about a lot of things, usually about how somebody else needs to repent or how people who struggle with different sins than the speaker needs to repent. But it's really interesting how few people talk about humility. And it's amazing because Jesus talks about it a lot. And he shows it. Right? Through his birth, which we just celebrated, through we're coming to the point where we celebrate God dying letting us kill him, and then we're going to receive him in the form of bread? God is very interested in becoming tiny. And that's important for us to think about. I think one of the struggles we run into is when we think of humility, we think it means downing ourselves, And that is not humility. You are a child of God. It's his breath in your lungs. You are of incalculable worth. Um, to quote C.S. Lewis way too often, but it's just so perfect. He says, to be humble doesn't mean to think less of yourself. It means to think of yourself less often. Uh, to be humble means you and I recognize we exist for God and others. And that's a powerful thing to think about. It's a tough thing because in our broken world, to be humble means we're making less of ourself. We're becoming forgettable and small. But if we look at God's mindset, that's where we learn what humility is. And we're going to do that in the gospel. That I don't know if there's a passage where Jesus talks where he reveals the heart of the Father more clearly than in this uh, which we heard we call the Beatitudes. Um, it's a powerful thing. 
And we start with the word blessed. Yeah, Jesus uses it a lot. Uh, but he, of course, was speaking in Greek, and they had a different word that we really struggled to translate. Okay, so it's three words, basically. Eudaimonia. Uh, and the first part of it is the word eu, which in Greek means good. Yeah, so you have a eulogy, uh, eulogia, good words, right? Unless you've heard some of the eulogies I've heard, you know. <laughs> um, that was minorly funny. If you were a priest, that was hysterical. Uh, and then daemon, which is where we actually get the word demon, but it just means spirit. And then that ending with the I-A is what's kind of called a command form. So the word Jesus used is, be of good spirit if you are poor in spirit. Be of good spirit if you mourn. I saw a translation of it uh, that was pretty popular in the 80s, but there was some weird stuff popular in the 80s, hey? Uh, but where they translated it happy, which is the worst thing to translate, right? Happy are they who mourn. Then you're doing mourning or happy wrong, yeah? This has nothing to do with emotion. It has to do with an understanding in our minds. When I recognize I am poor in spirit, then I need to be of good spirit. Now, I'm not going to go through all of them. I want to, but you'll kill me. Uh, we're going to look at the first two. And we're going to do this because it's going to give us a glimpse into the mind and heart of God. And my hope is that we go home and actually think about the rest of them too. Because our initial reaction as humans is to say, wow, in the Beatitudes, God flipped everything upside down. But G.K. Chesterton pointed out, no, we flipped everything upside down. He's setting it right. You and I consider the people who are large and in charge, who are wealthy and powerful, and who seem to have it together. We say, wow, they're blessed. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not blessed. Those people forget God all the time. And if you're in the Catholic or Christian world long enough, you know there's people who are great at following the rules and are horrible human beings. To be poor in spirit is our recognition of our absolutely desperate clinging need for God. And to know that that's a good thing. That's a good thing. He wouldn't save us if we didn't need to be saved. And we need to be saved. We recognize that by nature we tend to be selfish, manipulative, power-oriented. We tend to despise people who need us or to feel really good about ourselves when we help those who need us. And there's Jesus who wants to flip it back right where we cherish people who require our sacrifice. He wants us to cherish that part of us that knows, Jesus, I'm lost without you. And I've been at this 25 years, and I'm telling you, I have endured 800 different programs in the church. Yeah? How can we grow our parish? I don't know. I don't care. I don't want us bigger, although sweet. Uh, I want us more faithful. I want us to be holy, and then we don't need a program. 
because people will see it. If their experience with us in the daily world doesn't compel them to say, how do you get to be like that? Then they're not going to come, even if we have great sales tactics. And the only way we can pull that off is humility, because I'm telling you, you don't see a ton of it out there. I mean, I'm very humble, praise God. Uh, I mean, if there were two of me, I'd listen to me all day. Uh, wow, that was awful. Um, but humility will stand out. If someone says to you, why do you go to church? And your answer is anything other than, because I need him. It's not going to work. We can have a successful parish, and that would be a disaster. But if we have a holy parish, a humble parish, well, that's where saints get made. We can't despise our own neediness, and we can't despise it in others. God loves it when we cling to him. We think it's a wreck. Shoot, I should be able to have this down. Really? Then why did he do this? Then why is he giving us himself in the Eucharist? For bonus? The second thing where Jesus says that we should be of good spirit is when we mourn. And I could ask you, raise your hand if you're mourning, but every hand will go up. We mourn. And it's a specific word Jesus is using. It's when we cry about death. And you know, I remember, right, when I was a kid, oh, death is a part of life. No, it's not. You were not made for death. That's why it hurts. We were made for the eternal. Death came when humans fell. It is not natural. It's an abomination. And he came to end its reign over us. To weep because someone we love has died is a good thing. Be of good spirit. Why? I think it's a couple things. If you've stood at a grave and cried, you know that you were crying because you were going to miss someone. And the reason you're going to miss them is because they loved you and you were brave enough to love them back. And that's a good thing. We waste so much of our precious, beautiful energy on temporal things. How beautiful when we pour our energy out into each other. How beautiful when we say, I loved you so much, I'm going to miss you. When you weep, when you mourn, it is a testament to the beauty of the dead. It is a testament that you had the courage to love back, knowing this would happen. I know this sounds morbid. But I don't think it is. <laughs> Can't tell you how many weddings, right? I'm standing right there. And I'm standing with this couple, and what I know is they're doing something I've never had to be brave enough to do. They're standing and saying, you belong to me forever, I belong to you forever, we're going to get each other to heaven. And they do so knowing at one point, it will just be one of them. That's amazing. And that person is blessed. You married people? 
You're blessed. You're brave. But the second thing is this. I think what makes our mourning blessed is the fact that that absence will come to an end. But the love will not. What you're mourning over is a temporary state of affairs. But the reason you're mourning, that's never going to end. The love that compelled you to cry, that love is the eternal thing. The absence is the temporary. And so we're blessed. Toward the end of every funeral ritual we do as Catholics, and we do a ton of them here, there's a line right at the end where the priest says, and of course it just left my head. Isn't that great? (laughs) Oh, here it goes. One day we will joyfully greet this person again when the love of Christ which conquers all things destroys death itself. We weep. Over, our, over the death, but we know the death is temporary. The love is eternal. That love that binds us to each other on earth will outlast the sun. It will outlast time itself. So we are blessed when we mourn. This is taking on the mind of God, guys. And we got to do it. Enough of this nonsense of humanized Christianity where we justify our rightness, our strength, what we got right enough. Instead, we embrace the tininess of God and we commit to imitating that tininess, being obsessive about what God wants and what others need instead of what I want and what I need. And in that recognizing the beauty of our brokenness and the wonder of human love, We're going to take on this mind of God, or we're not. But to take on his mind, we got to know his mind. And there are few ways better than reading this passage today. It's Matthew 5. So I encourage us to do so. And then set about the task of being humble. And by being humble, meaning acting like God. And we'll act like God when we know his mind. Amen? Amen. Okay.